Well, hi there. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm from Trinity Church, Brighton. Uh, we had a little technical difficulty with our sermon uh, recording this week. So uh, what I thought I'd do, I thought I'd just preach the sermon again for you from my office during the week uh, for those who like to catch up. Uh, we, we really appreciate, by the way, while I've got you, those who listen to our sermon podcast. Uh, I know often it's our regulars who are maybe serving in kids' church and uh, like to catch up on the sermon during the week or uh, perhaps some of our regulars who are away or unwell and, and like to catch up on the sermon. Uh, but it could be as well that you're... Um, uh, you're just tuning in and you're not regularly part of our community and you just uh, tune in to listen to our sermons and we're really grateful for you doing that as well. Uh, what we're going to do, I'm going to read our Bible passage for this morning. Uh, it's from Genesis 4. It's the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, and then after that, I'm going to try and preach a sermon for you. And I'm just going to try and preach it uh, just like it's a Sunday morning and, and try and replicate as that as best as possible. Uh, so thanks again for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoy today's sermon. The reading is Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you and you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain out went, went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad was the father of Mehujal, and Mehujal was the father of Methuselah, and Methuselah was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other named Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise, li raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal who was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Zillel also had a son, Tubalcane, who forged all kind of kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubalcane's sister was Nahama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear, me, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. 
Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Well, as we've just heard, we're in the book of Genesis at the moment. It's the first book of the Bible. Uh, And being the first book of the Bible, Genesis gives us kind of our basic building blocks, the basics about our world. And I don't mean basics as in uh, simple, I mean foundational, uh, key truths that help us to understand the world we live in. Uh, It answers our big questions. For those who've been with us, we've seen this, haven't we? Genesis 1, the world is not an accident, but is deliberately created by a powerful God who brought order out of chaos. Uh, Genesis 2, why have we been put here? It's for a reason, to care and work for order in God's creation. Genesis 3, last week we got our diagnosis. What's wrong with the world? The world is broken. Things aren't how they're meant to be because of what the Bible calls sin. And what we've been doing, we've been sort of building up the world, the the key building blocks of the Bible's view of the world. This is why the world's here. This is what we're here for. This is why things are broken. Uh, And today we come to another key building block, one that's incredibly relevant in 2021. It sort of goes on top of everything we've seen so far. It's the question of how, how we live in the broken world. We've seen that the world is broken. How do we live in the broken world? And particularly as we live in the broken world, is there any hope that things will get better? It's very relevant in 2021. Uh, Why is that? Well, the world today is trying to come to grips with how to live in the broken world. It's desperate for things to get better. Have you noticed this? We live in a world that is desperate for things to get better. Uh, More and more, we're realizing that the world is broken. we've, We've almost kind of figured out the Genesis 3 thing. I think lots of Aussies, you know, we might not necessarily so much know why the world's broken, but we know things aren't as they should be. We know we've got problems, you know, environmental problems, problems with racism, problems with inequality, problems with violence. And, you know, I'm sure you remember this. It was only a couple of months ago. Thousands of people marching in the city to protest violence against women. We know there's a serious problem with the way the world is. And lots of people are fed up. We know that the world's broken when we want things to get better. When that process was going on, as I was reading about it, I saw a photo and I uh, saved it and I put it on the screen on Sunday. Uh, I thought it just did such a good job of summing up the mood of lots of people in our society today. Uh, A woman holding a sign that says, it's 2021. Why are we still fighting? Uh, The sign says so much in just a few short words. Uh, The woman sees a problem. Things aren't how they're meant to be. The world is broken. We shouldn't be fighting. So that we can totally agree. But what about the question of where we can look for hope? What does the sign suggest? It's 2021. Why are we still fighting? Uh, What's the assumption behind the sign? Well, it's actually that it's time that we have hope in and, and human progress, that humans... We should be progressing and we should be figuring things out. And really, by 2021, things should be perfect by now. Uh, But as the sign says, it's 2021. Why are we still fighting? It it doesn't seem to be working. It's 2021 and bombs are still falling in the Middle East. There were more bombs this week. It's, It's 2021 and we don't seem to be any closer to fixing the problem of violence in our communities. Domestic violence is up 25% in the past decade. Perhaps humanity isn't the place to put our hope after all. So how how do we live in the broken world? Where can we go for hope that things can get better? That's the question our world is asking today. And it's also the question Genesis is asking as we come to our passage for this morning. It's the first story of life outside of the Garden of Eden, the first story of life in the broken world, the story of Cain and Abel. And it's a brutal story. Uh, life is in chaos. There's violence. There's uh, murder, brokenness. Uh, it's, it's a brutal story and it will make us ask some hard and brutal questions. But I think... Really, at its heart, Genesis 4 is a story about hope. 
I think the story is here to show us that if we want real hope, we're not going to find it in trusting ourselves. We're not going to find it in trusting that the human race will eventually, given enough time, figure things out and create a good and perfect world on our own. What the story shows us is that if we want real hope, we need outside help. We need to find hope outside of ourselves. We need to find hope in God. Actually, I think this is kind of the key point that uh, the whole next couple of weeks of our sermons are going to make as well. Uh, All of Genesis 4 to 11, I think, is making this point. If we want real hope, we need to go to God, not to ourselves. Uh, Let's think about a story then, a story of Cain and Abel. I've got four things for us to notice from the story today. And actually, I think uh, if we can figure out these four things, I think if we can understand these four things, it kind of unlocks the whole story for us. So uh, here's what my four things are. The sacrifices, the sin, the blood, and the legacy. Sacrifices, sin, blood, and legacy. And what uh, what we're going to do, I want us to do something a little bit tricky. We're going to go through the story and notice those four things in the story of Cain and Abel. But then we get to the end. I want us to go through those four again, because all of those four, I think, as I said, understanding those four things helps us understand the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, But I think they have something to say about our own stories as well. Sacrifices, sin, blood, legacy. First of all, the sacrifices. Actually, let's just get some background to the story. It starts with Cain and Abel being born in verse 1. Uh, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the man, I have help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Uh, later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Uh, so Adam and Eve, they're out in the garden. They're into the broken world. And, uh, you know, things are going all right so far. They've had two sons. Um, some good reason for hope. Uh, now, let's clear something up. I'm a firstborn child. Uh, I wonder if you're a firstborn child in your family. Uh, on Sunday, I got everyone to put their hands up. Uh, just a warning, we might say some slightly harsh things about firstborn children today. I, I'm a firstborn child, so I feel like I can uh, get away with saying a bit more about firstborn children. Uh, even in these first couple of verses of Genesis 4, this is classic first and secondborn child stuff, right? I mean, I mean, look at the description of Cain being born. Uh, Adam and Eve made love. She became pregnant and gives birth to Cain with the help of the I've brought forth a man, says Eve. Uh, I think celebrations. I think baby shower. I think presents. I think a beautiful nursery all set up. There's so much excitement about the birth of Cain. But what does Abel get? Well, verse 2. Uh, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Um, if you're a middle child, this might be bringing up things for you already. It reads as if Abel's almost forgotten in the chaos of having multiple children. Oh, yeah, that's right. We had a second child too. Almost forgot. Uh, we'll come back to this first and second born children but uh, there's, there's two brothers right Cain and Abel uh, they grow up Cain works the soil growing crops and Abel looks after the sheep and that brings us to the sacrifices verse 3 in the course of time Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord and Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Uh, what's going on here? Cain brings a sacrifice and offering some of his crops. Uh, Abel brings an offering, some fatty, nice fatty pieces of lamb. But God only looks favorably on Abel's sacrifice. What's going on here? Uh, well, to understand this story, we need to understand the sacrifices. The big question is, why does God accept one sacrifice, but not the other? Why does God accept one sacrifice, but not the other? I wonder what you think. Is it that God sees the meat and the salad and acts it like me at a barbecue and goes straight for the meat? Uh, don't, don't think so. Is it that Abel brings beautifully fatty portions of the firstborn of his flock? 
Abel brings the best, whereas Cain just brings some, you know, just some of his crop. Well, I think that's probably part of it. But uh, this is actually a question that it's worth going to another part of the Bible for. The Bible picks this uh, up at a number of points. Uh, in Hebrews 11, this is what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews 11, uh, verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. What does Hebrews say? The offering Abel brought was better, but the key thing actually behind everything is faith. By faith, Abel brought a better offering. Uh, now, this is interesting. By faith, how is Abel's faith any better than Cain's? Both Abel and Cain clearly believe in God. It's not an issue of sort of faith in that sense, you know, that Cain's doubting the existence of God or anything like that. So what, what is it? How does, how does Abel have a better faith? Well, uh, this is what I think. I think Abel has faith because he knows he needs God. Whereas, whereas Cain, I think Cain is pretty classic oldest child. He thinks he's pretty top stuff. And so he doesn't think he needs God. He, he thinks he deserves God's favor. Abel says, God, I need you. Cain says, God, you need me. And, and this, of course, would explain why Cain gets so angry when his sacrifice is not accepted. Uh, back in Genesis again now, uh, verse, verse 5, Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. What's going through Cain's mind? I brought God a, a, suffer, a suffer sacrifice. He has to accept it. I've earned, I've earned his favor. I'm the oldest. I've spent my whole life being told that I'm God's special gift. How dare God not like my offering? He's not showing faith in God. He's only got faith in himself. And if you're not quite convinced that this is what's going on with Cain and Abel's sacrifice, well, let me point one more thing out to you. The names. Uh, Cain's name, it means I have acquired or I have gained. If, if you've got a Bible, you probably have a footnote saying something like that. It's right there in Cain's name. He's been acquired. He's worth something. He's the firstborn. He's valuable. He's a gain. And, and it's exactly how he comes before God. Hi, God, I'm worth having. I'm good enough on my own. I'm a gain. Look at what I have to offer. But what about Abel? Abel's name in Hebrew is Habel. Abel, Habel, Habel, Abel. And you might actually recognize that word, especially if you've ever studied uh, closely the book of Ecclesiastes. It's, it's the word for vapor. It's the word for meaninglessness. It's the word for here for a moment and then gone, worthless, forgotten. Now, lots of parents, I think, pay a little bit att less attention to their second child. And, uh, but I've never seen any parents introduce their kids and say, oh, here's our second child. We called him the forgotten one. That's what Adam and Eve seem to call Abel. And then when Abel comes before God, this is the attitude he comes with. He knows before God, he's nothing. He knows that when he comes before God, he has to trust and rely only on God's grace, not on himself. Of course, that also means when he comes before God, he's willing to bring the best meat because he knows he really hasn't, has nothing to offer. The whole thing reminds me of a story that we looked at uh, at church earlier in the year, actually, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, you might remember that the Pharisee comes before God and says, I oh, thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. And the tax collector comes before God and beats his breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, it's that kind of sacrifice that God wants. It's, not the, it's the sacrifice of faith, trusting in him for hope, not in ourselves. I hope that makes sense. The sacrifice, that's the sacrifice that God wants. It's important to understand this because I think it makes a lot more sense of the rest of the story. Uh, the second thing then we need to understand is sin. Uh, Cain's unhappy that his sacrifice has been rejected. He's, he's the firstborn, remember, so he's not used to losing. 
In verse 6, God speaks to him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain's angry. He's thinking of doing something awful and God's warning him. Don't be angry. Do what is right. Sin is right there. Sin's lying to you. It wants to have you. Don't don't let sin win, Cain. Don't believe sin's lies. Sin is crouching at your door. I wonder if you ever think of sin like this, like it's dangerous, like it's a trap, like it's crouching at the door, ready to pounce. Last week, we spent a lot of time unpacking sin, Satan trying to fool Eve with sin's lies. If, if you were with us, do you remember the three lies? You know, God doesn't want what's best for you. There's no consequences for evil. You can decide what's right and wrong for yourself. Sin's lies are designed to trap us. They're dangerous. They're crafty. They, they sneak up on us before we even realize we've been fooled. But here, Cain seems to be in a much worse spot than Eve. Last week, Eve had to be talked into sin. Here, Cain can't even be talked out of it. And verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. While they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. It's an awful moment, the first murder, the first death really, isn't it? This is life in the broken world. This is life in the chaos. It's terrible. Things are even worse than in Genesis 3. The sacrifice, the sin. Next, let's, let's notice the blood. Abel is dead. Verse 10. The Lord says, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Abel is dead. His blood spilt on the ground. And it's a metaphor, of course, but Abel's blood is calling out. What's it calling out? Justice. Justice. Cain has killed me. He's guilty. You must do something, Lord. Abel is dead. And his blood is crying out to God for justice. And in verse 11, justice is done. Look at what God says in verse 11. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. This is God's justice. You spent your brother, you sent your brother's blood into the ground, Cain. Well, now you can stay away from the ground. Cain is banished and off he goes further away from Eden, further away from God. Sacrifice, sin, blood, legacy. We came into this chapter wanting to find out about how to live in the broken world, where to look for, for to find hope. All, all we've seen so far is things getting worse. And now one thing you might have noticed is that Genesis 4 is a, very much a parallel of Genesis 3. There are lots of similarities between Genesis 3 and 4. Uh, things like uh, in Genesis 3, the Lord finds Adam and Eve and says, what have you done? And then in Genesis 4, again, God finds Cain and Abel. Cain then says, what have you done? Uh, actually, it was in Genesis 3, the Lord came looking for Adam and Eve and he said, where are you? Uh, in Genesis 4, God came looking for Abel and then he said to Cain, where is your brother? You see some of the parallels. But uh, all we see is that the stories are similar. There's parallels, except what it shows us actually is that Genesis 4 is a lot worse than Genesis 3. So in, back in Genesis 3, Eve had to be talked into sin. In Genesis 4, Cain couldn't be talked out of it, as we said. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve confessed to their sin. In Genesis 4, Cain lies and makes a sassy comment. In Genesis 3, the sin was eating a fruit. In Genesis 4, the sin is murder. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve's sin cursed the ground. In Genesis 4, Cain's sin meant being driven from the ground entirely. 
In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve accept their punishment. In Genesis 4, Cain whinges about his punishment. He's still that classic entitled older sibling. Sorry if you're the oldest. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve had to leave Eden. In Genesis 4, Cain is driven further and further away, further east of Eden. Verse 16. So the world's broken. And our picture here of Genesis 3 and 4 is that it's just getting worse and worse. And this continues um, as we read about Cain's line, Cain's descendants. We get to this character, uh, Lamech. Did you notice uh, Lamech towards the end of our reading? I mean, Lamech's basically a, a psychopath. Look at what he says in verse 23. Uh, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. I mean, what a nutcase. Point's pretty clear, isn't it? Adam and Eve sinned. Cain's sin, was, Cain's sin was worse, and Lamech's sin is ten times worse than Cain's by his own omission. So what's Cain's legacy? It's humanity just moving further and further from how the world was meant to be, more and more chaos. Remember our big question today, how do we live in the broken world and where do we look for hope? Well, Cain has given us our, our bad example, the what not to do. What was his sacrifice? Rather than go to God for help, he relied on himself, his own abilities and his own righteousness. But in relying on himself, he couldn't resist sin. The blood of his dead brother Abel cries out in judgment against him. And his legacy is aligned where things only get worse and worse. This this is God's picture of what it looks like when as humans we rely only on ourselves and our own efforts to make the world a better place. It's 2021. Why are we still fighting? Well, The Bible's answer is that humanity is doing the same thing it's been doing ever since Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden. We rely on ourselves. We fall for sin's lies. The blood that we spill, whether it's literal or metaphorical, cries out in judgment against us. And our legacy is just more and more chaos coming after us. So how then should we live in the broken world? Where should we look for hope? Well, one thing to say is there is another example we can follow in this story. We can follow the example of Abel. Uh, It might seem a bit weird, but... Uh, what was Abel's sacrifice? He knew that before God he was nothing, and so he went to God for help and for mercy. And Abel, he was the victim of sin, and his blood was spilled, but even his blood cried out to God for help, for justice. And did you notice that uh, Abel, even though Abel died, actually Abel still had a legacy. Have a look at the last couple of verses of uh, the chapter, verse 20. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel. Since Cain killed him, Abel died, but he is replaced, which kind of seems harsh to us, but it would have been actually more of a normal thing to our ancient readers. Uh, This actually would be celebrated because it means that Abel's line continued. Abel's line uh, continues even though he died. Abel still has a legacy. And now Abel's line is not perfect. It's still people living in a broken world, but there's already a little more hope. Even right here in the chapter, Abel's line, like their father before them, are beginning to call on the name of the Lord. The next chapter of Genesis, Genesis 5, gives you all the detail about Abel's line, Seth's line. Uh, through this line is going to come Noah, who's going to, uh, God's going to use to bring comfort from the curses of Genesis 3. And of course, uh, there's lots to say about the story of Noah, and we'll get to that next week. Ultimately, through Abel's line is going to come Jesus, the serpent crusher, the one who will finally and fully deal with the problem of sin. 
This is our story, the sacrifice, the sin, the blood, the legacy. I think the big point for us is fairly clear. If we want to find hope in this broken world, we need to follow the example of Abel, not Cain. We need God's help. We need to call on the name of the Lord like Abel's descendants started to do. Sacrifice, sin, blood, legacy. I said at the start, these things help us understand Cain and Abel's story. Uh, But these four things each have something to say to us as well. Uh, So let's talk about that. What about sacrifice? The first one. Today's story asks us, how do we come before God? What's our offering before God? Do we come before God like Cain, thinking that we can manipulate God, earn his favor because we deserve it? Or do do we know that before God, we're like Abel. We've got nothing. We're vapor throwing ourselves on his mercy. Our attitude to this can come out in lots of ways. It can come out when we go to church just to tick a box, thinking that God will be happy with us because we've given him an hour of our week. You know, it's a bit like Cain, isn't it? You know, just gave God a little bit of his grain. I've done my part. Where's the blessing, God? It can come out in the way that we try to live our lives. Do we try and, you know, keep the commandments, tick a few boxes so that God will look favorably on us? Or do we live our whole lives as people who know that we're living for God in response to his mercy? When we support causes, do we choose to just support the right causes because we care about looking good to others? Or do we know that we have no righteousness in ourselves? We rely only on God. If we ever want this world to get better, we need his help. What's our sacrifice? What's our sin? Uh, One thing this story shows us clearly is the danger of sin. Sin is crouching at the door. We asked this before. Do you think of sin as dangerous? Or do we believe... Sin's lies. Actually, I'll keep doing that thing. I'll keep acting that way. I've got it under control. It's not like I'm doing anything serious. I could take a couple of steps down that road. Well, what we might find is if we take a couple of steps down that road, sin might grab us and take us a lot further down that road than we ever thought possible. You know, we read a story like Cain and Abel and we read about murder and it shocks us. But I think the wrong response is to say, well, oh, that could never be me. I could never be a violent person. I could never let it go that far. Well, I'm not saying that uh, anyone who's listening to this is a murderer. Uh, what, I'm, what I am saying, though, is that Satan is crafty. Satan is sneaky. And he'd probably prefer it if we didn't think that we were in any danger of going that far. I wonder if you saw uh, the musical Hamilton last year when it came out online during COVID or uh, maybe even you've uh, been lucky enough to get over to Sydney where it's showing at the moment. Uh, Annika and I watched Hamilton a couple of times just on the TV, but uh, we loved it. Uh, It's about Alexander Hamilton, American founding father, or at least um, when I watched it the second time, I, I think when you look closely, it's actually maybe not so much a story about Hamilton. I think if you look really closely, it's a story about uh, Aaron Burr, who was Hamilton's murderer. The whole story, it's about how Aaron Burke would start as this respectable American citizen lawyer and then how slowly and slowly, one thing after another, more and more frustration, sin and anger, talking, taking him, lying to him, little by little, he gets to the point where he pulls the trigger and kills Hamilton. The whole movie, you pay attention and Burr is asking, how did this happen? How did it come to this? Where did I go wrong? I'm, I'm not a murderer. You know, I don't think any of us uh, think we're capable of murdering someone. Cain probably didn't think he was capable of murder either, but if we found ourselves in different circumstances, desperate, if we'd fallen into the trap of believing sin's lies again and again and again, sin is more dangerous than we know. 
which is a good thing to understand as individuals, but it's a good thing for us to know as a church as well. You know, one mistake I think churches have made again and again and again is the mistake of thinking that sin is not dangerous, that sin's not going to come in and affect us because, you know, we're, we're nice people, but I think this is just how people tend to think sometimes. We like to, to believe the best about people. You know, we've looked at a story of horrible violence today, and a good example of this is domestic violence. We, we like to believe that people are good people, that sin's not dangerous, that there isn't violence in our communities, but the stats don't back that up. I looked it up this week. In Australia, one in four women and one in six men have experienced emotional abuse by a partner, and about one in five women and one in 20 men have experienced physical or sexual violence by a partner. Sin is dangerous. It's everywhere in our communities. And don't think it can't touch us because we're in the church. Some of you might have seen this. It was only a couple of weeks ago. The Anglican Church of Australia released a report, uh, the National Anglican Family Violence Research Report. The, the report found that the figures around domestic violence are just as high in Anglican churches. In fact, the stats might even be slightly worse. We are not immune to these things. This is why we need to be hot on things like safe ministry screening. And we're so thankful for Bron who coordinates that area for us. We... We need to have our eyes open. And can I say, by the way, if you're experiencing domestic abuse at the moment, we really think it's important that you get help. With, uh, there's lots of places you can go to help. We'd love you to come to us if you'd like help. We will believe you. We will listen to you. We will help in whatever way we can and connect you with others who can help more. And can I say, if you're here this, here this morning and you're a perpetrator of abuse, or even if maybe you haven't, crossed any lines but you know that you're a bit rough sometimes you struggle to control your anger you've taken a few steps down that road well heed the warning given to Cain sin is crouching at your door it desires to have you Satan is real sin is dangerous there is a real battle of course the way to fight the battle isn't to try harder to keep the rule it's to go to God for help uh, to put on the armor of God as Ephesians 6 talks about that's a good chapter to go and read after this take your stand against the devil's schemes meditate on the truth take up the shield of faith read the word meet together with other Christians and encouragement and accountability and pray 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 in the spirit all those things are wonderful gifts of God to aid us in the battle against sin and when we do sin, of course, we all do sin. We fight and we resist, but we won't banish sin while we're still in this broken world. When we do sin, we need to remember the blood. Remember Abel's blood, which cried out against Cain for justice? Well, Hebrews 12 talks about this. It, it reminds us that we have a different blood. Look at what Hebrews 12 says, uh, starting at verse 22. Uh, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We have the blood of Jesus better than Abel's blood. Abel's blood cried out against Cain. He's guilty. He killed me. Justice must be done. This person deserves punishment. But what does Jesus' blood cry out about us? Well, if we go to Jesus for repentance and if we trust in Jesus, well, Jesus' blood cries out. The punishment has been paid. The blood has already been spilt. Justice has already been done. This person is innocent before the Father. What's our sacrifice? What's our sin? What's our blood? What's our legacy? 
where can we find hope in this world for things to get better? Will humans eventually turn away from violence on our own if we just keep trying hard enough? I, I, I don't think so. The Bible's answer is that we need God's help. Uh, but as we go to God for help, as we fight against sin, as we trust in the blood of Jesus, well, we do leave a legacy, don't we? Uh, as we do these things, as we teach others to do these things, as we lead our families, as we teach our kids, as we set an example for the kids and youth in our church, as we lead in kids' church, as we disciple one another, yes, we live in a broken world. And yes, things are not going to be truly put right until Jesus returns. But Jesus' kingdom is very much a now and a not yet, which means... Though we're waiting for it to be properly inaugurated, but we can still live for Jesus now. And with God's help, we can still bring about lots of good in this broken world. Cain's legacy was one that really got worse and worse. Abel's legacy was a line that began to call on the name of the Lord. And ultimately, it was through Abel's line that real hope for better came. So let's go to Abel for our example. How do we live in the broken world? Where do we go for help? We throw ourselves on God's mercy. We go to God. We rely on him. We go to him and rely on his spirit as we live through the week. Let's let that be our sacrifice. Let's go to him for help to fight against sin. Let's remember that when we do sin, we can trust in the blood of Jesus. And let's remember that as we live for him, it does make a difference. We do leave a legacy. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for this story, even though it's brutal and violent. Thank you that your word isn't afraid to tackle real and difficult things. Help us to learn from Cain's bad example. Help us to know that we cannot stand before you based on our own righteousness. Help us to learn from Abel's good example that to live in this world, we need your help. We need to go to you. Throw ourselves on your mercy. Put on spirit's armor as we fight against sin. Go to you in forgiveness through Jesus' blood. And we pray all this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.